gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 37, the review segment for Friday, August 29th, 2014. It is the dog days of summer. I don't even know what movies are opening wide in theaters this weekend. I don't do it. Does anybody know? As above. As above. So so below. Yeah, never in my life am I going to see that movie. Uh, So we're talking about two much smaller movies that are available in various formats in the world this week. Uh, David, I think, can probably explain better. Uh, The first up is going to be God Help the Girl, a musical written... Directed by Stuart Murdoch of Bell and Sebastian. He is the creative force behind it one way or another. Starring Emily Browning, who uh, you may remember pitying as she beat up CGI monsters in Zack Snyder's Sucker Punch. And uh, lucky for her and all of us, she's moved on to better things. And then they were talking about Startup, about which I know very little. So I'm going to let David and I believe Patches. Or Joanna, did you also, am I the only one who didn't see? Uh, no, you and I can just peace out while they talk sweet. about Sweet. That's the boy movie anyway. Yeah. So we'll talk Wow. Wow. Yeah. I don't believe that's wow. a step backwards. I thought well, we lived in 2014 <laughs> and not 20 misogyny. <laughs> not all women, David. Um, let's start with Startup because I don't want to keep talking about it and sounding dumb. So David, what's up with Startup? Why do you want to talk about it so much? Because uh, it's frankly, it's incredible, uh, which will be a, a refreshingly recurring theme throughout this episode. Startup is a film that premiered last year. I think it was at Telluride, and, and it was also at Toronto, where I did not see it, um, and is now available on VOD and in theaters from Tribeca. It is by a guy named David McKenzie, who I would not have suspected it had <laughs> he's a. He's made bad movies. Just he's come made out bad with movies, it. but I mean, it's uh, it's hard to think of another example where a guy has made middling to mediocre films for so long and then just created I don't want to necessarily say a masterpiece but if not something close to it I mean a really a really great film that I, I you'd be hard pressed to see it in his previous works the potential sort of percolating and yet here we are startup is incredible it is the uh, it is a story very much I think it was described to me yesterday by it could have been by Matt Patches, was it? it was steal my, my line. You're about oh, to steal my okay. line. I, I, I'm not going to be the <laughs> son of a bitch who stole your line. This is you're stealing my line. Start up. Here's my here's my in a nutshell line. It is um, it's basically Bronson comes to short term twelve. Ooh. Okay. There you yes, go. There wait, you wait. Go. Can I, I can I just clarify something really quickly for listeners? It took me about fifteen minutes just now to Google this because it's starred up S T A R R E D. Space Correct. up, not start up, which is what I was trying to find. Correct. So third up, a lot of the movie, a lot of the movie, the dialogue, much of which is unintelligible, even if you did understand the vocabulary, the slang unique to British prisons, prisons that they were using. Well, uh, I think we're all pretty familiar with her. <laughs> right, <lingo>, so. <laughs> we've all we've all done our time before this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, start up is a term that that refers to a juvenile delinquent who is prematurely before their 21st birthday, transferred to an adult maximum security facility, uh, which is the case for this character, Eric, who is uh, a bruiser who is obviously, you know, this has been sort of his destiny and as we later learn, it's sort of the family business to be incarcerated, uh, has been a violent offender um, and he... He mugs off, to use another slang term. (laughs) He he arrives in this prison... um, ready to go <laughs> let's just say he he knew where he was going and uh, although there are hints of 
fear in his eyes for the most part. He is a savvy and brutal and mercurial customer, and he takes after his father, who's played by Ben Mendelsohn, who happens to be incarcerated in the same prison. Uh, and while their relationship is unclear for a little while because they are uh, – the relationship is strained to say the least, the movie really sort of follows their – both of them sort of rediscovering their humanity uh, to, to speak in the broadest terms possible. Uh, and a lot of it's facilitated through – uh, Eric's experiences in a group therapy situation that happens there. That's uh, sort of a privilege for some of the, the prisoners. Um, and he, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's ferociously shot. The opening sequences remind me a lot of hunger by Steve McQueen. There's a focus on gesture uh, and, mm. and these sort of like action um, based, like by the time, like he has, by the time Eric has his first line of dialogue, you already pretty much know his entire life story just because of how uh, naturally he gets to a cell and lights a toothbrush on fire and begins making a shiv. Um, it reminded me a lot of A Man Escapes by Robert Brisson, which I know was an influence on this. It was written by a guy um, named Jonathan Asser who actually did some time, as a, not as a prisoner, but as a uh, psychotherapist in a British prison. Um, it's, it's a really stunning, formally fascinating movie. It is crushingly humane but never plays or overplays its hands uh it never succumbs to sentiment it always feels uh like there's a very palpable sense of danger the whole movie feels like a lit match hovering just above uh you know these disgusting prison halls coated with kerosene and then lev's character ben mendelson is is so hard to pin down because at any moment you know that he's going to lash out, but and you can see him, and this goes for both he and his son, struggling to sort of rescue their last embers of their humanity and and use one another to do that, despite opposition from other prisoners who are sort of uh, the, the head of the community in there, as well as the uh, prison system, who uh, are not entirely. You know, they're, they're, they they have relationships with the prisoners as well, and they all sort of work together to keep a very symbiotic uh, civilization going there. But I thought this movie was absolutely brilliant and, and one of the year's best patches. What do you think? I, I'm a little confused why you would compare it to A Man Escaped other than that it takes place in a prison. I am, uh, because, I'm interested in that comparison. Well, the film, and again, you see this very lucidly in the opening sequences, has a focus on uh, gesture as means of expression, a lot of isolated actions that are sort of distilled the, the, the characters' entire histories and, and their natures are distilled into these minute actions. Um, and it is very it, – it's obviously like a steroidal version of A Man Escaped with, with uh, a, a lot more rage and the circumstances are very different. They're not POWs trying to escape from a Nazi prison. Um, <laughs> they are people who have cre- uh, committed all sorts of various crimes uh, which are – uh, in a very wise decision left vague. Um, there is no no doubt in your mind that they all deserve to be there. At least, you know, they, they all did things that would put them there. But of course, um, how the system has sort of manipulated them and not really provided much uh, opportunity for their lives. You know, it, it, the onus is as much on the people jailing them as it is on them. But I think it's, it really becomes a fascinating portrait of how um, your fathers are, there's sort of an analog between fatherhood and son father relationship as there is to prison and the prisoner 
prison relationship uh, where you sort of look at them and you have to divine whether or not they're there to um, to nurture you or to punish you. And I think you see that dynamic with prisons that are so – I think prisoners are always struggling with are they, are they trying to rehabilitate me or am I simply uh, being cast out and, and punished by society? And I think it makes for a very – convenient and uh, phenomenal sort of conduit to the emotion that's shared in this amazing father-son relationship between the two characters. But that uh, also, at least in its early moments, feels very strongly Brissonian. Well, I think that, yeah, for me, that's what I like most about the movie. I mean, this is his performance first movie. Jack O'Connell as this kid, Eric, is like extraordinary. The, the amount of aggression, the amount of physicality, the amount of, and then under that, the cracks that allow us to see this kid who's in prison. I mean, we have to remember that that comes forward every once in a while, especially when he's with his father and we start having these kind of like universal conversations about being a good father or being a bad father or being a good kid or being a horrible kid. And that relationship, you know, it transcends the fact that they're in prison. It's not really a prison movie other than to kind of compound that drama. And it's suffocate not, it. not a prison movie. <laughs> okay. But I mean, in terms of like, it being about the mechanics of prison or or life in prison, it doesn't necessarily seem like that's the focus, despite um, the writer, Jonathan Asser, clearly having a connection to prisons. Right. I, I believe I read that he he kind of worked in this um, group therapy situation I, in prison. You also heard me say it like five minutes ago, but I said a lot of oh, things. Oh, sorry. I, I mumbled yeah, a lot. Rambling, so I'm going to so. let you slide. Okay, but, gotcha. um, but, they, but I think that um, that gives it a casualness and – perhaps doesn't allow him to dive deep enough into how the this world functions. Uh, I think the the middle of this movie ends up sagging because Dave McKenzie can't inject it with composition, compositional um he he can't represent what he's chasing with these two actors, what these two actors are giving to this movie with the direction. I think he kind of meanders. In a similar way, I I'd fault it just like I did um, short term twelve last year, which I liked and but didn't love, and and I like startup and didn't love startup because perform but the performances are so natural and and commanding, but I think the the direction falls behind it in a way. I mean, they have this amazing set, this prison that they go through. I mean, you want to just follow people through it and kind of play it all loosey goosey, um, but I don't think he really is up to the task of following these two actors and finding the angles and, and putting his camera where it needs to be to like really make these moments sizzle. I just think these two actors are so good that it really carries us through, but I don't think it elevates it with um, the, the filmmaking in any way. Couldn't disagree more. I think uh, he is with them every step of the way, um, and you can sort of feel the characters metastasizing as people as the movie goes along. They edited it uh, on the fly as they went, and sort of all shaped. this behind the scenes now. Uh, no, but I think that this is uh, it comes across. I, I wouldn't have gone so far as to sort of guess that just by watching the movie, but when I learned that, it made um, it made a lot of sense. I do think that the movie has a rare vitality to it that uh, they're able to maintain from start. To to a really gut-wrenching But I feel finish. like I can sense these guys being too in deep. And as I mentioned, like for Short Term 12, it's like they know this subject matter so well that they just kind of want to luxuriate in this um, in this setting and just follow these guys being normal, you know, to be uh, have as much restraint as possible. And it actually works against the drama here. And then they put in characters that 
create melodrama for some reason. You know, there's well, like this I, evil warden. And, well, and I watched the – I felt that way the first time. I did feel as if the movie overreached in regards to the, the evil warden character. But I watched it again um, and I noticed that a lot of my complaints, if not – Almost all of them sort of fell by the wayside because I think they, they achieve a really phenomenal balance that uh, is Short Term 12's greatest accomplishment as well, um, although it's a lot less didactic than Short Term 12 in that every scene feels organic. It feels very human, yet they all serve a very explicit purpose within the context of the movie. Um, it never does feel to me at all like luxuriating. I think it's all this very strong world building. It's amazing to watch Eric's relationship with Nev go from something that we don't understand. It's only 30 minutes into the film that we even get the first hint that they're related. Um, and then, or the, really the first explicit hint. And then to sort of see how we track that as it evolves over the course of the movie, it's always growing and in a misshapen sort of way. Um, I really, I really think this is a phenomenal, phenomenal movie. And I know it's available on VOD, but it's such a bracing experience that, uh, you know, it's hard to say that, oh, I love this movie. I think you should see it on VOD. It's fine. Uh, really, if, if you live somewhere where this is playing and it will be expanding this Friday, make an effort to – or next Friday. It will be expanding at some point. Make an effort to see it I mean it it's certainly something you should you see before it. Jack O'Connell stars in Angelina Jolie's Unbroken. Yeah, I mean his performance here flatter. is as good as anything I've seen all year. It really um, is. It's really and, – and Ben Mendelsohn is, it brings a very – different sort of cagey energy to it and i think the two play off each other marvelously he's, he's um, pretty amazing and i actually think ben mendelson will go underappreciated when people start seeing this movie because his he's shows a lot of the right kind of restraint he's this yeah. hushed he is fatherly always, despite clearly being a murderer right? but that's always well, ben mendelson is he just yeah, disappears yeah he disappears he's, into the role and so he never gets you know, the love he deserves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a great scene. Um, you know, if there were sort of like an award show real scene for him, there's this one where he's talking to his son's psychotherapist one on one towards the end of the movie. And he goes, it's it's really it's really amazing to watch. And it's uh, it's very he, funny at times. It is very is funny. And I don't know. I just I love there's also an awareness in the script that that. You know, it's prison, so you can get away with some things. I mean, sometimes you have these characters like the Anton Sugar types, which Ben Mendelsohn is not necessarily, although he is almost as unpredictable, where they feel like a bit of a cartoon. But this is prison. These men are sociopaths, and there's a great conversation scene with him where someone is like, can, can you not be a psychopath for like three seconds? And they say it in a very sort of frank prison way where – Ben Mendelsohn's character is like, okay, I am a psychopath and I hear what you're saying and I will try to approach this conversation as a rational human being as best I can. Uh, I mean, you can see all the gears working and it's really interesting. To to wrap up on Startup, I wanted to ask you one thing that I've seen a few people complain about. This is not something I have a problem with because it's so visceral and so powerful and Jack O'Connell can sell this, but, and I don't think you would agree either, but I'm going to throw it out there. I've seen people complain that his outbursts when he gets to prison, I mean, he has some very violent violent moments. At some point, he takes down um, one of his black inmates or his fellow inmates and and just beats him to a pulp. It's very terrifying. And then kind of like runs, I guess they have enough freedom in the prison that he could be in like the cafeteria and then run all the way back to his cell. They give a really good sense of the geography. It's impressive. But, but I think what people were complaining about, it's like, it seems too staged at times. Did you feel that this, I mean, it doesn't sound like you had a problem with Dave McKenzie. Um, playing up the staginess. Like, at some point, Eric, the Jack O'Connell character, grabs, like, two 
uh, wooden. I, is it part of his oh, bed? That seemed, yeah, it's, it seems so. I mean, that seems fantastic. But it's he's a, like weaponizing himself. I mean, he's he's prepared. He takes on riot guards. And just well, he, it's a fight. He he knows he's going to lose because he's trying to. I mean, it's complicated, but I think um, there it, it again speaks to how, and I think that people would accuse it of being too staged or sort of not giving enough credit to what the scene is expressing about his entire life, about how he has been in the system since he was 10 years old and has been preparing himself for, for maximum security, sort of for adult prison his whole life and his whole, for his whole teenage life. And he, it, it's tactical, but it, I, I, there's, there's he's a, trained. And he's also very smart. I mean, there is a goodwill hunting element where he's not quite, you know, a genius necessarily. He's not solving equations on the prison blackboards, but he is clearly a, a mess of wasted potential. Um, and that's what uh, makes it so heartbreaking. And that's what also makes Ben Mendelsohn's performance so good. Just watching him be like, I have one more chance to kind of save my son, I hope. And there's a lot of heart to that. Now. These are hardened criminals and Jack O'Connell is insane. I mean, just like he will break you. Um, but this is a kid and it's a really, it's really sad. I guess maybe I'm, I'm taking back my point about it not being a good prison movie. I guess yeah. in some ways this is, this is telling me something about the juvie system. I take it all back. It's a good movie. Yeah. Hatches recants. Startup gets the seal of approval. I told him he shouldn't do it. And Camel told me he knew it. So he started begging with a bucket instead of a cup. He's in the jailhouse now. 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 Well, Camel flubbed his dub when he wore a tuxedo to the country club. He's in the jailhouse now. He's in the jailhouse now. In this week of David Ehrlich liking the movies we review, which hopefully makes all of us happy, I know it makes me happy, uh, we're talking about God Help the Girl, which is a uh, musical, kind of a romance, uh, little movie directed and written by Stuart Murdoch, who is, uh, how many people are in Bell and Sebastian? He is one of how well, many people? 23? No. <laughs> uh, they're the Scottish Arcade Fire. No, he co-founded the band with another Stuart uh, who departed from the band a little while ago. And so while there are other... Members, he when you think of Bell and Sebastian, you're really talking about Stuart Murdoch and whomever he decides to invite into his universe. So but what's Bell and Sebastian? What's so it's, fun about that is when you see them play up on stage, they all rotate instruments. You're like, oh, that's the keyboardist, but then the keyboardist like walks down and picks up a trumpet. Um, anyway, that's yeah. Not, arcade Fire is the same way. All yeah. right, so Scottish Arcade Fire has made a musical. <laughs> uh, how'd that turn out, David? Uh, amazing. <laughs> um, I. I have been a – I think we probably all at least appreciate Bell and Sebastian music if we wouldn't call ourselves fans. It's hard to be – I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm speaking out of turn. But uh, I've always very much enjoyed Bell and Sebastian. But I wasn't too surprised when I heard sort of mixed reviews about God Help the Girl out of Sundance. And so I went into it with tepid expectations. And this is absolutely one of my favorite movies in the year and probably my favorite outright musical since like Dancer in the Dark, although it's a very different beast than that. I, I would compare it to Dancer in the Dark, though. It's a less depressing, it's a cheeky version of Dancer in the Dark. <laughs> I've seen genocides that are less depressing than Dancer in the Dark. But um, this is, so God Help the Girl was always intended to be a movie musical. Stuart Murdoch was not sort of a filmmaker by nature, but he was running, you know, out for a run one day a few years ago, 
<clears throat> excuse me, and uh, a song came to him, uh, the title track for God Help the Girl, and he, he knew that it wasn't a Bell and Sebastian song. So he wrote it down and he wrote all of these songs knowing that they were going to be the, the songs for this musical. And then simply to sort of work them out, process them, find the characters, he created a side project. They released an album that had a number of different female uh, performers come in um, and do these sort of girl group songs, Carrie Mulligan among them. Uh, but it was all sort of a blueprint for this movie, which is uh, the story. It's sort of a, essentially the story, uh, a very romanticized version of the story of the forming of Bell and Sebastian. Um, but it has none of that sort of self-mythologizing aspect that you might uh, – and that might be implied by the description. It's about Eve, who is uh, not Stuart Murdoch because she is a woman, uh, who is Emily Browning, who is a girl who is struggling with an eating disorder, um, whereas Stuart Murdoch was struggling from uh, – uh, it was edited before Bell and Sebastian with uh, chronic fatigue um, and still does to some extent. Anyway, uh, so she is very sick. She's in a hospital, uh, like a care center for this sort of thing. Um, she is very bored. She flew from Melbourne where she lived to Glasgow, um, in which this movie sort of exists in this sort of fanciful twee Glasgow wonderland. And she escapes one night. She meets a guy named James who's played by Ollie Alexander who is uh, your typical – scrawny, kind-hearted, nice guy, hipster type. Uh, and they end up colluding with a, a younger girl named Cassie who's played by uh, What's-Her-Face from Game of Thrones. Um, Hannah Murray. Hannah Murray. And uh, the three Gilly. of them have a very... Gilly. <laughs> Gilly. The three of them have a very band of outsiders dynamic between them and there are obvious romantic underpinnings between James's friendship with... Um, with Eve, as it sort of the film takes place very loosely over the course of this magical summer before everything changed forever and life's possibilities started closing like doors one by one uh, on these people. Um, it's a very it's very much a first movie in that it's it's very shaggy. Um, the direction is all over the place. The, the story or you know what there is of it um, is is likewise uh, sort of messy. But all of this. I can't stress enough if you're if you're on the movie's wavelength is actually to the immense benefit of the film because it so perfectly dovetails with the characters, who they are, how they're feeling, how they're trying to express themselves that you would hate to see this choked off and made more linear and formulaic um, like other recent movie musicals that shall not be named um, where the sentiments are obvious. I mean, I've seen this movie probably, you know. Three times watching it closely and another like nine in the background by now. Um, and it's still hard for me to sort of pinpoint the uh, the emotional beats are clear, but their, their meaning is, is layered. It's, it's very wistful. Um, it, the clearest themes are broad. And then from there, it, it's interesting because you can identify at different times in the film, or at least I could, with all three of the major characters. Uh, it's not pat in a way that is suffocating. And I think it rewards repeat viewings. The songs are phenomenal. Eve Browning gives the most amazing Emily. lead performance. Emily, Brown. Emily, Emily Browning. Sorry, I'm confusing her with her character. It's so amazing. The energy and the chemistry between the cast is incredible. But her performance, her singing voice, um, her whole sort of Anna Karina energy is, is really incredible. I fell deeply in love with this movie. I don't know. What would you guys think? You fell deeply in love with Emily Browning. You were already, I love that, it. That, 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 you were already deeply in love with Emily what Browning, is, which I do actually think might be a problem here. Uh, no, what it is is it's the anti-sucker punch, right? And I mean, that's the, most that's, things are most humans are the anti sucker punch, right? But I mean, so it's Emily Browning with with a you know st stuck in a mental not a mental but she's psychiatric 
ward and she learns how to express herself in order to to escape this thing that's ensnaring her and whereas Zack Snyder just blew that this film nails it um and is its opposite in every way and maybe it's unfair to compare it but it's sort of you can't help but compare it um or I couldn't and I loved it I I am a huge Belle and Sebastian fan um, their aesthetic really works for me. So, you know, this is sort of right up my alley and I love mo- movie musicals in general. Um, and I agree with David that the, the shagginess of it uh, is to its benefit for sure. I, um, I, so I watched half of it. I, I'm trying not to talk too much about my own opinion, but David, I'm curious. I'm always curious for you when Twee doesn't send you over the edge, because I think like most people, you kind of have a natural aversion to things that are trying too hard and are overly cutesy. And this movie is cute. And I, enjoyed what I saw of it, but I wanted to figure out why it clicked for you when, you know, many other examples of the cute movie. Or, you mean you didn't uh, begin again. You saw that and didn't like it, right? <laughs> That's one way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. So like, why did, why does this work for you <laughs> begin again? Because begin again feels manufactured and this felt very real to me. I think there's, there's a certain self-awareness, which helps. Um, and there is, you know, it, it, I can't be ignored that I am familiar with Bell and Sebastian's music and like it a lot. And so I, I think, I am coming at it from a more, you know, understanding place. But um, I, I think these characters are just so earnest. The film is not, and I think this is pivotal, it's not afraid to confront the darkest things about them. I mean, like Eve is going through a very tough time. And yet it glosses over it completely. Uh, I think I, it really mishandles introducing uh, something as... as devastating as a, as a eating disorder and then kind of fumbles along and glosses over it and everything's honky dory. And I, I did not like this movie. I do not think everything is honky. The no, I don't think is, anything's honky is dory. very unsettled. It's very unresolved. I think that it's there's a lot of like difficulty and hardship way where you want everything to be nice. There's a lot unresolved. of difficulty and hardship that these characters carry with them and will continue to carry with them through the rest of their lives. And then never at any point, And this is again, one of the things that I appreciate about the film. Uh, does the movie make any attempt to suggest that music has saved her right. and you know, they are all, you know, like it, it, it's the anti that, and that is, really? you know, I think. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like get it's the, the ending, but I <laughs> would probably disagree with. That. I don't feel like it's the anti that, but I feel like it's this could. It's a possibility. Like I, you know, I think that they find moments of freedom and and most importantly connection in the music throughout the film. Um, whereas Eve, I think, is very isolated initially. She finds this connection through this, but I don't think it solves everything for her. Nothing is tidy. Nothing is pat. You don't get your happy ending. Um, you get a question mark at the end, which is the best kind of ending, right? Maybe. It usually except, for that, me. except that it should confront some of these heavy issues that it's introduced. And instead but of this doing isn't that, it's a movie like, what about eating disorders. Dream? But um, it, it isn't a it, – it's not like this is what it's like to to be – I mean it doesn't even specify what eating disorder she has. Um, it's just she has like sort of a general aversion to eating and taking care of herself and she sort of like let her entire being sort of fall into disrepair. But it, it's it's really sort of about what she does – with that, and, and you know, I think it would have been a fatal misstep to say, like, you know, music. She through songwriting, she was able to cure herself of this disease. And, and if you can't, you know, you out there, the audience who is, you know, vomiting every meal that you eat, if you can't, you know, use art to to save you from this, and you failed, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't 
risk. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not saying that it result. It needs to resolve it. I'm saying it needs to confront it. I think that's different. I, think I it, don't know. I really think it dances around it and gets lost in kind of this whimsy that you're talking about. It does about. No, dance. I, I, I just want to say. It dances yeah. very well. I, I, I want to say something I, that um, I'm not, not not a Bell and Sebastian fan, but I don't. I'm not very familiar with their music, and I thought the songs in the movie were really good. I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, Woody Allen's Everyone Says I Love You, which is what this film reminded me of. And again, I'm a big movie musical fan. Um, this movie just... in the, Actually, knowing that Katie saw like the first half of it or whatever, um, the first 20 minutes of this movie, I was really into it, and I was just like waiting it for it to blossom into whatever it was going to become, and I thought it really fizzled out because it didn't have a story to tell or it didn't have an angle for this fantasy for these characters to kind of intertwine and lose themselves into. It was just a series of different I don't dance sequences. Re- and if it were that, uh, if it was rejecting narrative in that way that strongly, then I probably would have been more on board with it. But because of how it's playing with these, I mean, I think, I think they're overused archetypes of these these twee romanticists and they're just losing each other in art and oh the youth the fantasy of youth and um it really it really I didn't they're not I think that's a first of all I think you're overseeing the fantasy elements uh, of this they're never really allowed well one of my my, one of my biggest problems with the movie is how he ends up having um oh god what is her name Emily Browning um she ends up looking at the camera more than the other characters. She'll break the fourth wall and start singing songs to us and doing these kind of like weird, sexy dances at points. And I thought that was a very strange move. Like either it's we're watching her in um, reinterpret the world through song and it's going to be through her perspective or or or, or not. And it's but kind I, of having its cake and eating it too. And I think by like making her sexy and her looking at the audience, it's like – it's like Stuart Murdoch is is living out his fantasy of seeing this girl be romantic and being sexy uh, to him. It was very he like he's giving himself the, the ability to to hold on to this time that sort of got away from him. Um, and I think that sort of meta element of it is is really beautiful. And first, and then why would you it buy a cake if you're not going to eat it? And third of all, <laughs> like I think, I think that uh, there, I love that there was this. That it didn't commit – like Dance with the Dark does where like all of the um, all of the song sequences in that are fantasies but they also sort of forward the reality um, that we see through Selma's eyes as she sings. Here it's more of a twilight – like the movie goes in this twilight zony space where it's not that life stops and a lot of the times the, the major events happen during the song and dance sequences. But they also take place on a plane that's not quite – uh, reality as we know it, and I thought that was absolutely the perfect choice to as a sort of means of getting to what it feels like to be at that point in your life and to um, be at this important time and to recognize and this is really what the movie was about for me to recognize that you're in that time where it's the last time where everything is going to seem so wide open. I just open, really where felt like it was shifting be full of possibilities between all that without and to not and to not have any. And to be powerless against making the most of it, and and to feel it sort of slipping through your I fingers. I think that's and giving isn't way it too actually, much credit. But isn't it actually a strength for it to be less specific? I mean, you keep talking about how this should have gone more into Eve's affliction and what she was going through, but to make I'm it less specific, it, it makes more it more accessible to everyone who has struggled. It's you know, especially when they're younger, who has struggled. You know, to make it a vague affliction is is to make it something that people can relate to. 
I don't. Th- I don't think it needs to be specific. I just don't feel like there's an emotional payoff to everything she's dealing with. Like everything seems too easy. And I know you guys disagree with that. It's just how I, I ended up responding to the way Murdoch is kind of floating through space and, and not picking if it should be reality or fantasy or this in-between Twilight Zone at certain times. I just didn't feel like it was being paced um, with any care. Uh, and again, that worked for you guys. Um, but for me, it was just sloppiness. I, yeah, and, and there's like, a, there's ways, there's, there's parts of it that I feel like are trying to imitate the the freedom and the craze of a hard day's night all of, you know maybe that's on the top of my brain because we were talking about it not too long ago yeah. and i'm just like and all the costumes which i love the, the beautiful costumes in this movie but i'm also just like who are these people they're living in an alternate dimension and they are they're I mean, having a serious a... there's a serious problem on the table that can't be let go and all this this male character wants is to like sneak a smooch or you know, uh, and, and my favorite true. character in the movie is um, Gele, uh, <laughs> Gele. But because she seems to have a want, and she seems to be affected by people's choices, and, and dogs she's talk to her. In, you, you're she, just she you're like the man. You're like you're just trying to fit it into all. Of these, no, I'm I'm the opposite. I think what, I think Stuart Murdoch is too much to of hit. a man for this movie. Well, what I will say, what I will say that it, that. Is a good question to ask is, you know, the whole God Help the Girl project, which inspired this musical or or was supposed to be a musical in the first place. Stuart Murdoch takes on this role of writing songs about young women, the experience of being a young woman. And that is kind of interesting because then it is stamped with a very strong male voice. And Ollie Alexander's character, Ollie Alexander's a very appealing performer. I really liked him in this role, but that character could be... A problematic one. I don't think he gets there, but I. But that that character who does idealize Eve, she is his like manic manic pixie dream girl. In he this. calls her his muse, right? But I think the way I, mean, it, think, it, I think the way it resolves his... belies that. You know? Yeah, I think it's contextualized with him. You know, he's obviously in love with her. He never feels entitled to her affections just because he houses her. Um, but he also recognizes that. She is way more talented than he will ever be. <laughs> and I think it, part of the movie is about watching these people you know, leave you and like seeing this luminous person and everything that uh, happens in their orbit come into to yours and then understand that it's you're, you're going to be left behind um, and finding a way to do that with grace and uh, to find your, your value in the time you had and the whatever qualities you have your own. I mean, I think these things are all a big part of it. And I do think, you know, as I said at the very top of the episode, uh, or at least the section about this movie, that this isn't for all tastes, that there are going to be plenty of people uh, who are coming at it like patches. And of course, they're, we, you know, you all out there know that they're wrong, but they will have, uh, <laughs> they will exist and they need to be shamed in public. But I wanted that movie to be so good. It's, it's really disappointing. First 20 minutes are pretty good. How about that? So we didn't talk about that CG shot of her being skinny. Oh yeah, that's that weird. weird. I didn't know she was like sucking in her stomach or what. I mean, she was, but was like also CG. Yeah, there's definitely CG. Mm. Just yeah. like it's such a device. Her whole her whole eating disorder is such a device to get under her skin. It's annoying. This movie has device. really her, a lot of other potential. than other than the fact that she wasn't eating. It's the exact same thing that Stuart Murdoch had. I mean, he was that was his life. I don't care about Stuart Murdoch. I don't care. I'm watching the movie. Skinny girls are the prettiest ones, am I right? They're the only ones who deserve to hook up with cute boys in cable knit sweaters. 
That's pretty much what the movie's about. You know, just because <laughs> Emily Browning is beautiful does not mean that other types of women are not also beautiful, Katie. This is not a movie. This is not – I'm trying to think of like a, a hugely popular movie musical that everybody really loves. Um, is. <laughs> Moulin Rouge. Movie musical. <laughs> Moulin Rouge. Uh, Moulin uh, fine. Okay. It's not Moulin Rouge. It's not going to be – it's not going to have something for everyone. I think the people who love it will love it fiercely and those who don't will probably be nonplussed. Um, but I, I am just so exceedingly glad that this movie exists and that I – We'll be able to watch it forever. Forever. And I do, yeah, I do like Emily Browning, but I am just going to put one more plug in for Ollie Alexander, who I think really could go places. Emily Browning has already been places and she'll continue to go places, but he is an emerging He's such talent. a skinny little, he wears cable knit sweaters in summer. I don't know about this guy. <laughs> She's so good. I mean, he's, I think he's very good, but she is so good. And her voice, I mean, like she, like she's step aside and uh, she's amazing, and and yeah, she's better than Anna Kendrick. That's for sure. For she's sure. better than Anna, but she Anna, she's not as Broadway as Anna Kendrick. I mean, like if, but I think she's. She, it's really like a, uh, a woman is a woman. Anna Karina reborn, although Anna Karina is not dead, but Anna Karina circa a woman is a woman is dead, <laughs> and uh, and this really um, knowingly feels like a reincarnate, like it's possessed with that spirit. What the um, hell. <laughs> It's really, it's really great. <laughs> this is the best movie ever made. Patches, wouldn't you agree? Stop so mansplaining. Time you complain about David not liking any movies. Just remember that uh, Patches gave him shit for liking God Help the Girl. So sometimes Patches is the monster. He doesn't care about it. It really hurts to have disappointed Patties, I'll tell you that much right now. Uh, um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the new Bell and Sebastian album is all going to be about disappointing Patches. That, that would be, awesome. be a great but, uh, Bell and Sebastian song name. Disappointing, disappointing Patches? patches for I wouldn't sure. even I know because I have never heard a single. Have I heard a Bell and Sebastian song? Patches. Is it like a popular yeah, one? Yeah, you have. Um, well, Boy with the Arab Strap? Popular is an interesting term. I was like, Didn't someone remake Boy with the Arab Strap? One of them was on the Juno soundtrack. Funny little frog in my throat. The blues are a still frog? blue. A turtle? White collar boy. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, white collar boy. Uh, Hannah Murray is on IMDb list called Celebrities, Famous Girls, Lovely Actress. <laughs> That's because of skins, I think. Lovely. Right? Hey. hey, Patches, what was this week's lightning round question? Oh, shit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. you, which movie from 20 years ago do you want to see? In you have to really hit that you. How like, was my David impression? Your David impression was great, Patches. You've really been Thank you. that over the years. Uh, Joanna, what's your pick? Oh, um, <laughs> I'm going to go with Mr. Bowers, who, si- who said true lies. At Mr. Bowers. Yeah. Yeah, James Cameron. I don't we know if I... Mr. Bowers around I, here. I don't know if no, I've Mr. ever Bowers. seen all of true lies. Is that crazy? That's yes, crazy. that's crazy. I think I've seen most of it on cable. 
Actually, I think I'm in the same boat. I don't think I've ever sat down and watched the whole thing. Wow. What the fuck is wrong We're with you people? Jeez. Oh, I know. Right. You know yeah. I love James Cameron. People out so there, like, hey, well, why would you rest, sit down and watch it? Rest assured, I saw it the day it came out in theaters. Yeah, I also saw it in theaters. for that, David. I have probably seen it 35 times. It's the best thing Eliza Dushku has ever done. That's you right. were I mean, definitely easily. too young for True Lies in theaters. Dude, I saw I saw. I know what to say. After I saw Jurassic Park. Like it was everything. The floodgates <laughs> the just flood opened. I was so afraid of Tyrannosaurus Rexes showing up on my front lawn that my Jamie parents Lee were like, Curtis in a bra was nothing. He's so scarred. It doesn't even matter at this point. <laughs> We've ruined him for yeah. uh, Okay, Patches, what's your pick? I'm going to go with at I Phil underscore who said The Shadow with Alec Baldwin. <laughs> Which is wow. actually a pretty good movie, um, despite Sam Raimi wishing he had made it and whoever directed I don't even know who made it. I should look that up. But um, I wish we got more like noiry pulp characters. It sounds like we will. Movies uh, in, in the Sin future. Sin City 2 just came out. How quickly yeah, you how- That is not <laughs> <laughs> practical effects. Real real movies with real sets and such. Shadow um, knows. I, yeah. I have an affinity for, for The Shadow. I definitely have never seen The Shadow. For sure. uh, Directed by apparently the guy who directs every episode of Teen Wolf on MTV. Which, guess oh, guess guess what film. movie I saw the day it came out in theaters. The Shadow. The Shadow. The Shadow. <laughs> he knew that. The Shadow knows. That you saw <laughs> the Shadow knows. Shadow did know. I see. I know I, the Shadow knows. So clearly, I, remember I vividly something. remember being in the auditorium seeing the Shadow uh, at a movie theater that is now an Apple store. Alec Baldwin looks so weird in that movie. I want. Did he wear prosthetics? Maybe it was. He looks very strange. Same theater where the speakers blew during Jurassic Park 3, and that was the beginning of the end. Uh, anyway. For that theater. For, for no, every, for that theater. For it was like the T-Rex was like, and the for theaters were like, the theater was just like, <laughs> it's terrible. For William H. Macy, for everyone. Oh, Alan. Alan, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you got to you gotta go on YouTube and find the clip of the Velociraptor talking to Alan <laughs> in the plane. It will change you. Alan. <laughs> Uh, uh, I'm I'm gonna yeah, go with uh, uh, let's see I I was gonna go with Peter Labuza but he just moved to L A so fuck that guy yeah, I'll go with Christopher here. Campbell the film cynic who says breaking the waves and I'll <laughs> sit in the front row and see if I still don't understand all the motion sickness complaints the brave man Alan that that movie Alan. legitimately made me vomit as well guess as guess who saw breaking the, the waves project. day one <laughs> I did not I I have to admit I did not see breaking the waves day one I didn't, Wait, you didn't line up down the block to see breaking I, the waves I, I, I lived breaking the waves <laughs> I carried my bike up that hill <laughs> all right uh, I'm going with Peterson Will who said the abyss to continue uh, the uh, James, I mean, basically all James Cameron movies should be. I love the Abyss. Uh, the Abyss. Does anyone know when or if the Abyss is ever coming to Blu-ray? Like, I remember checking a couple years ago. If only you had seen Deep no Sea Challenge 3D, you could have oh. seen the the footage of the Abyss in 3D. Big. I mean, was it actually the was Ed Harris in it? Otherwise, it <laughs> yeah, no. It was. I mean, it was. The, <laughs> was Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio in it? There are because... clips from the Abyss because James Cameron basically made the Abyss so that he could develop a no mem no deal pay for his he, adventures uh, he filmed it in, a, in an unused nuclear reactor in south carolina and uh, almost murdered a lot of people probably did murder a lot of people don't you think those would have been covered up pretty well that's mm-hmm. that's the story i'm investigating for my own argo <laughs> that's uh, the story of sanctum the story that's of the, act- the people who had to escape james cameron's <laughs> abyss set 
<laughs> took people underground in caves and dreams. Yes. <laughs> All right. Enjoy your Oscar for that story, Patches. Thank you. Um, that does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back next week making our way around the beginning of the Toronto Film Festival and Labor Day. There's a lot going on, but we will be back for you. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches. I write all over the internet, uh, and I put it all on mattpatches.com, which is a Tumblr, and uh, I am on Twitter at Mr. Patches. I'm Joanna Robinson. You can find me most days on vanityfair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. This might be my last fighting in the war room for a little while. So thank you what? so much for having me here. I think you're back next week, actually. Oh, never mind. You're never I'll be leaving. back. <laughs> you also may or may not be, you and Dave may or may not be uh, staging a coup later this month. So don't worry, don't worry, everybody. Don't I'm not go going anywhere. anywhere. All and... the Joanna fans, don't go anywhere. This is just like that scene from God Help the Girl. Oh, wait. No, it's not. Alan. Okay. <laughs> David, that was your cue. Um, uh, my name is David Ehrlich. I am the editor at large of Little White Lies magazine. I also write for the Dissolve, the AV Club, Complex, whatever. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich and at Criterion Corner. Alan. Alan. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can also find me at VanityFair.com and on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Right.